This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we come now to your word. We pray that you would prepare our minds and hearts to receive it. We pray that we would be open, vulnerable, and transparent before you, that as we look at a passage that talks about the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit, that we would open up our lives and our hearts to the Spirit right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. And if you are new today, we are just kind of walking through uh, one of the greatest books of the Bible, the book of Romans, and we are in the second chapter. And today, we're going to look together at verses 12 and following in chapter 2, and we're talking about spirit-empowered obedience, how the Spirit of God transforms our lives, spirit-empowered obedience. So let's look at God's word uh, beginning with verse 12 of chapter 2 of Romans, and I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we look at the text together. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiments of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You can be seated. You know, as a kid... um, I used to enjoy watching those old school cartoons of, of Popeye. 
And uh, you know, I can relate to Popeye because uh, Popeye was, uh, was sort of a thin and scrawny guy. And let me tell you, as a six or seven year old, I was a pretty thin and scrawny little kid. And I desperately wanted to put on muscle. And when Popeye would pop open one of those cans of spinach, and just be kind of, kind of experience a, a metamorphosis from this thin and scrawny guy to sort of a muscle-bound guy who could just take care of business. Let me tell you, I, I wanted what he had. So it wasn't long after that that uh, when we were going through the, the, the can aisle of the grocery store, I began to make requests for cans of, of spinach. And uh, I, I religiously ate my spinach. I don't, it really didn't work out, so it made me feel better about myself, but you know, no real transformation. Whether you are a kid who, who yearns to be more muscular or an adult who yearns for the power to deal with temptation and the inner strength just to live a happier, more fulfilled life, we yearn as human beings for transformation. And there's a reason why this series on Romans is called People Made New. It's because Romans is about the life-changing power of the gospel. And today we're going to see how the Holy Spirit of God transforms us from the inside out. Now, this is not the first time in Romans that, that Paul has mentioned the Holy Spirit. He talked about the Holy Spirit in the opening verses of this letter when he talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 4, uh, we saw there that the Bible says of Christ that he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. What if I told you that the same power, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you and me. Better yet, what if the Bible told you that? The Bible does tell you that. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. As Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Why would we live powerless lives as believers when the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for us? Some of you have heard me uh, reference before the, the, the float in the Rose Bowl parade that ran out of gas and just brought the entire Rose Bowl parade to a screeching halt. But what made it even more embarrassing was that this particular float was sponsored by an oil company with millions of gallons of petroleum at its disposal. I think there are a lot of God's people like that running out of gas, living powerless lives when the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to them. When you witnessed baptism a few minutes ago, when people are raised up out of the water as believers in Christ, we are raised, as chapter six of Romans says, we are raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus died, not just so we could be forgiven of our sins, but so we could live a new life, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. That's what our text today 
is all about. So let's look at a couple of things here today in, in these verses. We're gonna see life without the power of the Spirit and then life in the power of the Spirit. First of all, life without the power of the Spirit. Now recently in my one year Bible reading, in the Old Testament part of my reading, I've been in the book of Exodus, and something struck me in chapter 33 of Exodus in a way that it never had before. Let me kind of lay, set the, the context here for you. So in chapter 32 of Exodus, this is when Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai and he's received the Ten Commandments. You know, when he comes down from the mountain, he's got the Ten Commandments on the, 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 the tablets. And when he comes back down, uh, Moses just witnesses a train wreck. Because while he's been gone, the people have fashioned a golden calf to worship and they're, they're worshiping this idol and they're having basically a drunken orgy at the foot of the mountain and, and Moses comes down and he is so livid at the sight of what he sees. He takes the Ten Commandments, smashes them. He takes the people's golden calf, burns it to the point that it's nothing but ashes and powder and then he, he takes the powder from the ashes and just scatters it in the water and makes the people drink it. But listen, they were going, they were, they were, they were in danger of drinking of a far more bitter cup than ash-flavored water. Because what does God say at this point? Let's pick up, pick it up in, in Exodus 33 and verses 3 and 4. Uh, God says to them, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. Why? Because they knew they were toast without God. They went up and tried to take the promised land without God. They were toast, and they knew it. And so Moses goes before God, and he intercedes on behalf of the people before God a few verses later in verses 15 and 16. He said, Moses says to God, if your presence will not go up with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Listen, Moses knew the one thing that made them different was the power and the presence of God with them. And he knew that apart from God, they could do nothing, and that is our situation. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Paul knew what this was like. Paul knew what it was like to live a religious life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see in these verses is we get a flavor of Paul's dialogue with his fellow Jews in the synagogues. And city after city, when Paul went into a new city, what did he do? First thing he did, he went into the synagogue. We get a flavor in these verses of, of, of some of that dialogue that he would have as he sought to present Christ to his, his fellow Jews. So what would he say to them? Verses 17 and, and following. He says, but if you call yourself a Jew, 
and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now listen, he never criticizes the law of God, does he? No, he says the, the law is the embodiment of knowledge and truth and it's, and it's excellent and it, and, it, and it is a light to those who are in darkness. So the problem was not God's law. <laughs> no, this was the problem. Let's continue. Verses uh, 21 and following. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And so Paul here say, the problem is not God's law. <laughs> the problem is your failure to obey it. And when that happens, then instead of attracting people to God, we repel people from God. As he says in verses 23 and 24, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, instead of Israel being a beacon that would be a light to the rest of the nations, attracting people to God, uh, they had, had begun to, to push people farther away from God. Now, does the fact that Israel failed mean that, that God's promises to them had failed? Absolutely not. God promised that through Israel, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed, and he, is, he upholds that promise by sending the Messiah, the Christ, through Israel. And so Jesus comes, and Jesus comes from Israel, and Jesus dies on the cross and breaks the power of sin and death and conquers death through the resurrection. And then, after the resurrection, what did he do? He poured out his spirit. And Paul knew that, that God was creating a new people who would really love God from their hearts. And that's where we move to next. Life in the power of the Spirit. Let's look at verse 13. Paul says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, when I first read the book of Romans, I thought that what Paul was doing here was that he was sort of raising a hypothetical straw man that he was just getting ready to knock down. I thought that what Paul was doing was that he was saying, well, as if anyone could do the law, uh, then you, know, you could be justified uh, that way. I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think that what Paul is, is saying here is that there there were people around him, um, Gentile believers, uh, who had grown up not hearing the law. I mean, they had grown up as just outright pagans. But the Spirit of God had gotten a hold of their lives, and they had been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, which is the only way that anyone can be saved. And then the Holy Spirit had begun to transform their lives so that they had begun to obey the essence of God's law, which is to love God and to love people. Now, 
doesn't mean that they were obeying it perfectly. None of us do. That's why we need a savior. But the spirit of God had begun to transform these people into people who, who, who love God and love others and who were fulfilling the essence of God's law. And I think, I think that becomes obvious by what follows next. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a lot of themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Now this concept of God's law being written on people's hearts goes back to the Old Testament. So you remember, we talked about it a minute ago, what happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? He's got the tablets of the law of God in his hands, Ta the law written on tablets of stone. But it's pretty obvious that the law is not written on people's hearts by what he sees when he comes down from the mountain. But the Old Testament prophets prophesied about a time when the, the spirit was gonna be poured out and people were going to be transformed into people who had the law written on their hearts and who delighted in obeying God and who obeyed him from their hearts because of the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Look at this prophecy of the new covenant in, in, in Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36 and verses 26 and 27. God says there, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so God is saying here, there is coming a time and it has come with the, with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost we are living in a new covenant age. And God here is prophesying about this age. He says there's coming a time when I'm gonna pour out my spirit and people are gonna be born again. I'm gonna take their heart of stone and I'm gonna replace it with a heart of flesh. And instead of being people who hate my law and rebel, rebel against my law, I'm gonna create a people by putting my spirit within them who will have the law of God written on their hearts and they will delight in loving me and in loving others. And, and you know, it's kind of like, if you think about an analogy, um, it's kind of like when you begin working out, let's say, let's say running for an example. I, I, can, I can testify from personal experience to, then, because, uh, to this because uh, there have been times in my life when I've been a very, very uh, disciplined runner and then I fall off the wagon and I get out of it and then I have to get back into it again and this has happened multiple times. I know what I speak of. And when you, when you first get back into working out or if you've never worked out before and you begin to do it, listen, it's painful. 
It's just a grind. <laughs> I mean, when you first start doing it, I mean, you're, you're, you're gasping for air and your legs feel like tree, heavy tree trunks that you're carrying around. You're super sore afterwards. But after a few weeks, if you can push through it, then what happens is it's not like that anymore. And you begin to enjoy it. And you, you, it's, you're not just kind of gasping for air anymore and and your legs don't feel so bad anymore and and in fact you even begin to kind of experience a second wind sort of a runner's high where your your body is sort of releasing endorphins and it just feels good and you feel good after your workout and then you reach a point where you miss it when you can't on a day when you can't work out because you look forward to it you feel good about it. you feel good doing it that's kind of the way it is here because when the spirit begins to transform our lives and we, when we begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, obedience becomes more and more natural and sin becomes more and more strange and weird. And that's because the spirit is transforming our hearts from the inside out. Paul resumes his, his, his dialogue. We, we again get a flavor of some of the things that he would say in these synagogues to his fellow Jews in verses 25 and following. He says to them, for circumcision isn't indeed a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man is uncircumcised, who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. In other words, <laughs> Paul, would, Paul would say to uh, these, these Jewish leaders who were oftentimes attacking him. <laughs> he would say to them, look, you, got, you guys are condemning me for accepting these uncircumcised Gentiles into the church, but let me tell you about these uncircumcised Gentiles. They've been transformed. They have placed their faith in the Messiah and the spirit of God has been poured into their lives and they, are, they have been transformed from pagans into people who love God and love others in a way that our own people have not been. And then he would lay this on them in verses 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. A couple of takeaways from this text. First of all, the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. Russell Moore uh, was once in a conversation with, with Dr. Carl Henry. Carl Henry was a great evangelical theologian. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He was very close friends with Billy Graham. In fact, Carl Henry and Billy Graham founded Christianity Today magazine together. And one day, 
uh, Russell Moore was, was having a conversation with Carl Henry. And, and you know, he was, he, he was sort of lamenting the fact, he, was looking, he, said, he said, Dr. Henry, you know, I look around at our evangelical leaders today. I mean, who is going to be the next Billy Graham? Who's going to be the next Bill Bright? I mean, where, where, where are these people among our evangelical leaders? And Carl Henry said, might not come from our current evangelical leaders. He said this to him. Carl Henry, Carl Henry said the leaders of the next generation might not be coming from the current evangelical establishment. They're probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus was to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Charles Colson? They were unbelievers who once saved by the grace of God were mighty warriors for the faith. And then Russell Moore adds this. He says, the next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. Do not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives. And remember this as you bear witness to friends and family and people that you work with and people that you go to school with, people who seem so far from God. Friends, don't just look at them for who they are now. Look at them for who they could be when transformed by the Spirit of God, the gospel. And it begins with you proclaiming the gospel, telling the gospel to them. Another takeaway is that God does this by transforming hearts by the power of the Spirit. In October of 1871, the Great Fire destroyed much of the city of Chicago. One of the mysteries of the Great Fire has always been how it crossed the Chicago River you know, there's an old legend that it started in a barn when a cow kicked over a lantern. But, 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 you know, whether that happened or not, they know that where it actually started was across the Chicago River from where most of the damage took place. So the mystery is how did the fire cross the river? And there have been all kinds of theories. You know, the wind could have blown embers across the river. It could have set wooden ships that were moored in the river on fire. But scientists now believe there was even, even a deeper reason. And that is because the Chicago River was so polluted with toxins that the water was actually combustible. And this is the water that people in the city of Chicago were drinking And they continued to drink it for decades after this fire. Throughout the 1870s and 1880s and 1890s, at least 10,000 people would die of cholera and typhoid every year from drinking this water. In 1885, 100,000 people died from illnesses that were produced from the drinking water. 
And so city engineers got busy and they did something radical. It was one of the marvels of engineering of our time. They dug 28 miles of canal. They moved more earth and more rocks that were moved in the building of the Panama Canal. 28 miles of canal, and then they, they set up locks and gates. And on January 2nd, 1900, a worker on Lake Michigan opened a sluice gate and the whole massive power of the Great Lakes came rushing into that river and actually reversed the river, pushed it in an opposite direction so that that river, which was once bringing death to people, began to be something that could bring life to the city. They actually reversed the river as these billions of gallons of fresh water came rushing in and pushing out that, that old, sluggish, stagnant, diseased water, pushed it out, just an inflow of, of fresh water. It's just a little tiny, tiny picture of what the Spirit of God can do as he reverses the course of human hearts. Because what happens in the gospel? Jesus dies for sinners. Jesus takes our sins upon himself. He conquers the power of sin and death so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made new. Jesus rises from the dead. Death has been defeated and he ascended to the right hand of God and then what did he do? He opened the sluice gate of heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit who comes into stagnant, diseased hearts and begins a work of, of utter transformation and he transforms us into people who love God and love other people from our hearts. Now that transformation cannot begin until you turn to Christ. The Holy Spirit cannot be poured out into your life until you turn to the one whose blood was poured out for you on the cross. Turn to Jesus in repentance and in faith and begin to experience the forgiveness and eternal life and new life and the power of the Spirit that Jesus offers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus, the one, the only one who perfectly fulfilled the law. We thank you for his, his obedience in going to the cross on our behalf and dying for sinners like us and rising from the dead that we may have new life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who has been poured out and that we can live, walk in the power of your spirit. And I pray for anyone here today who hasn't experienced this. I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts to turn to the Savior. And we pray it in his name, amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with the living God, we wanna invite you 
to, to, to call out to Christ right now, right where you are. Turn to Jesus, repent, turn from a life of running from him and turn to the Savior and trust, trust that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead and receive him into your life as your Savior and your Lord. The Bible tells us that when we do that, it's not to remain a secret. We're to follow through, we're to confess him publicly through believer's baptism as we saw uh, today. And if you're here today and God's working in your life to follow Jesus, let us know that. Let us know that. We wanna pray with you. We'll, we'll counsel with you. We'll set up a time for you to be baptized. You come today as God leads. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about this church family and being a part of this church family, we'd love to welcome you. You come as God leads. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.